Nyata, hello. It's Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. God, why was Elephant killed? What about Jay and Kay and all our other friends? Why is there a plague galloping across the earth and so many people suffering or dead? How long must we live in fear? When can we have friends in our house? And when will we see Grandpa again? We're good people, Lord, faithful, committed and true. We try to live ethically, we pray. Why is this happening to us? And what about the climate, Lord? We look around and we see disaster. The oceans are acidifying, seagrass meadows are dying, the Great Barrier Reef is bleaching and we're terrified of another bushfire summer. Yet whatever the recent greenwash says, our government keeps subsidising fossil fuel industries. Factories keep pumping out carbon dioxide, banks keep funding destructive projects and none of us can avoid using plastic. Our future is burning and it's gut-wrenching, heart-rending, grief-strickening to see what do we do to deserve this. All of us have big questions about human suffering our own and what we see around us. And 20 months into a pandemic with other griefs and losses mounting, with a prolonged physical distance from family and friends and with climate catastrophe unfolding all around, these questions feel more urgent, more desperate than ever. It's in response to these sorts of questions that today's reading from the book of Job comes. Let's set the scene. As you might know, Job has experienced suffering beyond comprehension. Despite being a good man, the best man on earth in fact, he's lost his children, his wealth and his health. He's overwhelmed by his losses and he demands an explanation from God. Why is this happening to me, he asks. Where is justice? Because he knows that God is just. He knows he's done nothing wrong, so how could he be experiencing such terrible things? For 37 chapters, Job wrestles with this question, demanding an explanation and pushing back against his pious friends. For they keep insisting that his suffering is a corrective, a punishment or a learning opportunity. But Job rejects this. I put on righteousness and it clothes me, he says, My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy and I championed the cause of the stranger. Even God describes him as a faithful and upright servant. So why does Job suffer? God, answer me, he yells in anguish into the void. Finally, God speaks. And God's voice comes out of the whirlwind. Who is this? demands God. Pull yourself together and I will question you. And then God proceeds to describe a vast and intricate cosmos, far beyond human comprehension or experience. And God poses a series of unanswerable questions. In contemporary terms, it might sound a bit like this. Were you there at the Big Bang when matter and antimatter erupted into the void? 
Did you cast electrons into their orbits or swirl galaxies across the universe? Have you ever journeyed through a black hole? Do you understand the dance of mitochondria or ride lightning strikes between synapses? Did you weave the ladders of DNA or flavour the quarks charm and strange? Who sends a serpent to lay her eggs? Who calls the seven sisters into the sky? Who tells the emu to sit on his nest or the platypus where to burrow? Who teaches bacteria to feed on plastic? Who grows the parrot's bill in response to warming? What do you have to say for yourself? And on and on it goes. In the face of Job's suffering, God's response seems harsh. It completely sidesteps Job's questions, and yet in it, I find hope. It's not a comfortable hope, but it's hope enough for me. So let's take a look. The first thing I notice is that God tells Job to pull himself together. In the face of suffering, in the face of despair, we easily unravel. And it's shocking to hear God telling Job to gird his loins like a man. God would flunk any pastoral care class. But it reminds me of Psalm 131, which has this lovely phrase, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. This psalm tackles twin sins, the first of feeling responsible for things far beyond us, that is, thinking we are God, and the converse, which is rejecting responsibility for ourselves, that is, refusing to grow up. When Job is losing his you-know-what, God says, pull yourself together. It suggests that even in extreme circumstances, we can calm and quiet our souls. This God treats us like adults and asks us to grow a backbone. And to me there's something very bracing in this. When life is overwhelming, like Job I need to wail and protest and sit in dust and ashes and rail at my friends for 37 chapters. But at some point I need to shift my attention away from the overwhelming. At some point I need to get up and brush myself off and pay attention to God and this is exactly what God demands of Job. Pull yourself together, mate, and listen. The next thing I notice is that God does turn up. It mightn't be with tender words, but God honours Job with God's presence. After all the weeping and sobbing and arguing, pleading, begging, challenging and doubting, God says, I'm here. For God is involved and God cares. And out of the whirlwind, perhaps, God will respond. But the third thing I notice is that God's response points us beyond humanity. For nowhere in God's discourse does God mention humans. We heard just a little bit where God rhetorically asked Job, Were you there when I planned the earth? Were you there when I stopped the waters as they issued gushing from the womb? 
when I wrap the ocean in clouds and swaddle the sea in shadows. And this is just a snippet from a grand discourse in which God celebrates the wild and the free. Whether it's the deep oceans or the feral donkeys, the birds of the air or the beasts of the forest, the rippling rivers or the rushing winds, God creates and delights in them all. And God creates and delights in them not because they're good for humans, but for their own sake. God is in relationship with earth, sea and sky, with river and rock, with all that grows and lives and dies. And this relationship is not all about us. We are part of creation, certainly, but we're not the centre. And our petty demands for retribution and reward are not going to be met by this God. In this vast creation, things suffer for no reason. Things are born and live and die, and there's no merit in any of it. This isn't a world of accounts and balance sheets. It's not a world in which bad people lose and good people are showered with prosperity. It's not a world in which our earnest efforts count for anything. Instead, this is a world of infinite grace and infinite joy. And this world, so much more vast and wild and harsh than we can possibly imagine, is beautiful and good. Stars sing, sea monsters romp, rivers clap, forests dance, hills erupt with joy. And it's this world that we and Job are invited to live. But to live fully in this world, the Creator's world, like Job, we must let go of our human-centric view of things. Our position at the city gate, our standing in the eyes of others, our taking suffering personally. We must let go of our expectations of reward and our longing for things to be fair. Instead, we must enter wholeheartedly into the joy and pain of the universe, joining our voices with the song of creation, singing in harmony with our God. So the story of Job puts us in our right place, precious but not centred. Instead we see a world that is so much bigger than us, a world in which God is builder, midwife, boundary setter and lover. And we see that we are not in charge. Saving the world is God's business. Setting limits on the sea and on human wickedness is God's role. God will send rain to the wilderness. God will bring life out of chaos. And we can trust God in this. And so we mustn't let ourselves be overwhelmed. We must not despair. Paradoxically, however, this doesn't mean sitting on our hands. For we are made in God's image. And even though we're not the centre of things, God has given us a God's eye view. It's not the dingo or the echidna who received the whirlwind tour of the cosmos. It's Job, and it's us, who have shown the universe through God's eyes. And we can, of course, deny what we have seen. We can turn a blind eye to what's going on. We can stay silent while the planet groans and people suffer and corporations wreak havoc and governments subsidise them. Or we can seek to live ever more fully into the image of God who plans, measures and builds, who midwifes and swaddles and nurtures, who tends and sets limits, 
who explores and celebrates creation. As creatures made in God's image, we are called to become more like this God, the one who is intimately involved. But we can do this without being overwhelmed, because it's not all up to us. Even in our deepest suffering and our darkest despair, we can pull ourselves together, take a deep breath, and get involved in God's creative activity. And we can do so knowing that the oceans are ultimately in the hands of the one who midwife them and wrap them in clouds and swaddle them with shadows. The one who gives quarks their particular flavour. The one whose spirit is infinitely creative and nurturing and wild and free. Thanks be to God. There's always more to read on our website. That's sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. And if you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. This recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation. Right now, the coastal daisies are flowering. Running postman is covered with red kidney-shaped blooms. And bow of spinach is flecked with yellow stars. The peace of the land be with us all. Amen.